Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You're listening to Text Message, the UK-focused technology show with me, Nate Langson. And me, Ian Morris. And thank you, patrons, for being patrons. And if you are one, this is your extended ad-free version of the show. Thank you to some of our new patrons. We had three new patrons this week. Ken O'Kelly, Michael Saffle, and Unknown User. Uh, That is not uh, a user who is unknown. That is their name, whoever you may be. Thank you, Unknown User. They're supporting us directly. And for just the price of a coffee or two for Ian and I every month, you can get access to our full-length show, our ad-free version. Listen and chat with us live and get Extra Message, which is our Patreon-exclusive sister show. It's a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun in our pre-show chat for our live listeners today as well. Find out more, patreon.com forward slash UK tech. Ian, I hope you've had a delightful week. I've been um, making an episode of my Bloomberg show about the future of breast pumps and pelvic floor muscle training devices. Interesting. Something that you're an ideal candidate to make a show about. Well, that's actually how it stemmed. I thought, you know, am I the right person to be looking into this technology? And it turns out that being a man with no breasts and no children, it's actually <laughs> quite a good person to be broadcasting about the virtues of this technology because it's not always something that men pay attention to. As well, a result. fair enough. Yes, that is so, true. Yeah. Good, good fun week. Um, a couple of things before we jump into our first news story that I wanted to flag. We've talked about it before, but the £100 contactless payment limit on cards in the United Kingdom is now available. Uh, so you can get spending at a higher rate than before. And also, BT Broadband customers, if you're one of the millions who are, you can now get an Xbox Game Pass Ultimate for free if you're on the fiber pack um we've got links to those two stories in the show notes if you head over to uktechshow.com forward slash episodes yes and this week has been a big week if you're in the world of smart home security devices uh, that's because english courts have uh, passed a judgment uh, on a specific case where um a defendant was accused of harassing Uh, another person Um, it won't make video doorbells or home security cameras illegal as such that's because a judge has ruled that one owner had used his ring video doorbell and floodlight cameras to harass his neighbor and violate her privacy Uh, it's a complicated ruling uh, but you can read it online if you're interested the summary explains that the judge was concerned that the defendant's placement of his cameras was too wide in its scope to be legitimate and the devices were able to record far too much of the area um, that would capture uh, legitimate activities by neighbours and infringe their right to privacy. Um, one of the really interesting things that I read in this judgment um, concerned specifically the use of audio on Ring and other devices. Um, it's uh, The judge said in the official document, I'm satisfied that the extent to, of 
I'm satisfied that the extent of range to which these devices can capture audio is well beyond the range of video they capture, and in my view cannot be said to be reasonable for the purpose of which these devices are used by the defendant. Since the legitimate aim for which they are said to be used, namely crime prevention, could surely be achieved with something less, a great deal of the purpose could be achieved without audio at all, uh, as is the case with the bulk of CCTV systems in use in public places in the country. Ultimately, Judge Melissa Clark agreed that the claimant was entitled to compensation because the defendant had breached the Data Protection Act and UK GDPR. Uh, the details of the compensation will be decided at a later date. So, Nate, what yeah. is your take on this particularly complicated uh, ruling? Well, I think the interesting thing for me is that I've just bought a Ring doorbell. Um, I am which... shocked. Yeah, well, we'll come back to to, to why. Um, I think the issue here is predominantly with with sound, and one of the things that I was looking into the uh, with in, in the ruling was that if you place this device, say, down at the end of your garden, and you're able to film the neighbor's garden on either side, and it's always potentially recording sound, then you are kind of, whether deliberately or not, able to record any of your neighbor's conversations in their back garden my view on this sort of thing has always been well i could very easily just sit there uh, or i could <laughs> yeah. i could hide a recorder whereas at least with this way the um the per the defendant in this instance had actually shown their neighbor and said hey look how look how fancy this all is and the, the devil was is always going to be in the detail um but they the, the neighbor didn't like the fact that it, it could see into their garden i think whatever happens with this with this case uh, whether it's appealed, whatever the ruling, you know, compensation ruling is, and I've heard it could be something up to like a hundred thousand wow. pounds, which I find extraordinarily hard to believe uh, is justifiable. But that's for the law to uh, to, to 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 judge. Obviously, um, I, I just think we've got to be smart about where we place these things. This is a very good and useful reminder that protecting the privacy of your property doesn't shouldn't um, necessarily mean that you are invading the privacy of somebody else's. So yeah. I kind of agree that we have to be careful in the same way as, let's say, with drones, drones that have cameras on. There are rules with drones. You can fly a drone. You can fly a drone in a park. You can fly a drone with a camera over parents and families and children in a park. However, you cannot go close to those people you cannot fly in front of somebody's house window. in their window and yeah. film in there you cannot fly near airports but it doesn't stop you in any way flying them having cameras taking pictures in public spaces that's okay and i sort of think it's the same here only obviously in this instance it's you know screwed into your building as opposed to flying through the air and i think that that is probably a, a, a realistic um i don't know comparison let's say yeah in the live chat we're getting some questions about um you know whether or not you'd be able to um <clears throat> request to see the data that your neighbors had on you via a, um a, you know an access request um it's an interesting one because obviously gdpr isn't really designed to apply to individuals it's more designed for companies um and there was some stuff in this judgment that, that suggested the defendant had tried to register as a 
data register uh, as a as a, as one of the you know the whatever they the data officer or whatever a, they a data it. controller a data controller um and, and was told that that wasn't possible at residential addresses or something and there was some you know that was called into question during the ruling as well however it does sort of feel like the sort of thing where um you, you know you'd still be required to sort of follow the law on it but you wouldn't be subject to the same kind of scrutiny as a business would be so who knows what the fine will end up be based on i mean obviously there's a person doesn't have a revenue so you couldn't take 10 percent of that which is the usual you know gdpr thing um well no well gdpr it's a maximum of four percent of a company's global annual turnover i believe which you wouldn't be subject to if you're not a business as you say yeah. quite rightly but um but also i don't think you can necessarily log a, a subject access request under gdpr because you know if if you are i mean how would how would the company that is holding your data because they're stored in the cloud and and ring is encrypted now i believe um or it, it can be it isn't necessarily it can be. yeah it, it doesn't know who the people are walking past your windows. And if it does, if it can use facial identification and it can match the image on a camera with something else that it's seen, then that raises a whole load of other ethical and privacy-related questions that I don't think Amazon would want to answer. And I don't think needs to, <laughs> because I just don't think this would be applicable, as I understand uh, the law as it, you know, today. Um, the issue with sound, I, I, you know, I get that. But I just yeah, think I do. This, this is not the only way to do this you know this isn't an issue over hiding microphones in your lawn like if you went over and hid a small microphone and camera in your neighbor's garden then i would say this is an open and shut case like obviously that is a massive breach of privacy um you know there are many many cases in the past where we've seen people install cameras in other people's houses secretly Mm. to watch them in the bathroom or whatever and they always you know it's always in the defendant's interest or rather it's always resolved the case uh with, you know, in favor of the defendant. Obviously, it's a breach of privacy. But I don't know. With this, I think you've got to be careful. But you do, and I think a lot of this will have come down to the fact that the um, the defendant in the case seemed to be somewhat belligerent. Um, he had um, said that this was to defend his property and his car. He'd had a, a problem with a, a, a masked gang turning up and trying to steal his Audi or something, and that's why he'd gone sort of crazy on all this stuff um but the judge wasn't really satisfied with any of that and i think um his he also made the crucial mistake of blathering on to literally anyone that would listen about all the stuff that he could do with his cameras um and it, and it was that um along with some other things that went on that sort of made this neighbor of his feel like she was being harassed um which yeah. i which i kind of totally get and it was it, it was always always that that i think really rankled everyone like when you read the judgment this guy kind of feels like he's you know taking everything far too far and you know these devices are common i've I've i see a surprising number of ring doorbells and other such devices around Um, the way that the way that i i settled on my view on this is to think about my neighbors you know we get on with our neighbors um you know we're not Good friends or anything but we're but we you know never had a problem with them however if i saw that they and i would encourage you all to put yourself in this position as well <clears throat> if you looked over your fence in your garden and you saw that your neighbor had installed a ring camera or a security camera that you recognized um, as having a very wide field of view hd always on mo- uh, motion triggered recording um night vision all that sort of stuff and you could see that it was very obviously going to be covering the whole of your garden 
would you feel like your privacy was being violated? Because I would. I would feel that I wouldn't want to go out and say, I mean, I don't think I've ever been outside sunbathing topless in my garden, but... It, when it's really hot and we're out with so. the, I, sh- I, I should feel comfortable doing. But if I know the camera's there, I don't know. I'm going to feel that's not really good. And John in our chat points out you can set blank zones. And the problem with the blank zones, uh, and certainly this is the case with the ring cameras, is the the blank zones block out the camera's ability to detect you in certain areas. But it doesn't stop you being captured if something else has triggered the recording and you happen to be in that very wide field of view with your with, you know, and and the sound to go with it. So I think that's why I'm sort of um, on the on the side of the, you know, the prosecution here, just on that privacy standpoint. But I think it shouldn't be a warning to not have these cameras or that there's anything fundamentally wrong with these cameras. It's more a case of let's just maybe remind ourselves that we have to be smart about where we place them um, and and just make sure that we're, you know, that we're not bragging about how much we can we can see because that's not really going to help you, is it? Um, there's a couple of comments in the BBC story that I saw um, and the, um, who was uh, it? The Information Commissioner's Office said, quote, lots of people use domestic CCTV and video doorbells. If you own one, you should respect people's privacy and take steps to minimise intrusion. Um, and added, in the vast number of cases, there are no issues. Um, another privacy expert was quoted in this story, a pro-privacy woman called Hannah Hart. Oh, that's a lovely name. Hannah Hart said, whilst this case doesn't set a legal precedent. Oh, it doesn't. Okay, interesting. Uh, It does continue an ongoing conversation about our changing attitude towards domestic surveillance and how we normalized it uh, in our communities. I think that's that's it. It's all about these are new technologies. There are teething issues still. And we've got to just think carefully about it. Um, Yeah, I'm interested by the fact it doesn't set um, precedent because actually I would have thought that it would. But who knows? I'm sure they're more of an expert than I am. I don't know if that's because it hasn't been... It, does it need to go to the High Court to do that? Well, this is the thing. I think if it goes to the Supreme Court, but because they can overrule lower courts. So um, we're not... Le- this is why we have a giant legal department at Bloomberg. <laughs> yes, so exactly. I don't have to think about these things. I simply call up one of the lawyers and say, what's the deal with this? Um, anyway, I think that's about enough on there. I know, mm. Ian, you were curious to hear my views on why I bought a ring doorbell yeah. because I don't like Amazon hardware products uh, in general. And funnily enough, largely because of privacy reasons. The reason I don't mind this one. Well, the reason I chose the ring because I didn't want to buy a ring. I wanted to buy a different one because I wanted it to work with Apple's HomeKit because it gives me free unlimited encrypted video Mm. um, storage because I didn't want to pay extra to have the recording stored in the cloud. Um, However, I could not find a camera that A, was high quality, B, worked with Apple HomeKit, C, could work wirelessly, and D, that had a built-in battery. Uh. Um, There are many, many combinations where you can get three out of those four. For example, you can get them that work wirelessly for data and work with HomeKit, but they have to be wired in. And you can get others that are battery powered and work wirelessly like the Ring, um, but they don't work with HomeKit. So it was kind of, um, it was an issue. And the other reason is that it, frankly, it's outside all the time. It can't see what we're doing. It can't hear us. And it's, um, and it is, you know, it's a very limited exposure to anything we do. So it was a calculated decision to go for that. However, I would have preferred 
to have gone with a different brand. But at the same time, the Ring doorbell, it's really, really good. The quality is great and it works as advertised and it's not super expensive. But um, but that that was why. For the other cameras we've got, I, I went for a brand called, I think it's called like Aquara or something, A-Q-A-R. A, something something like that, I think. Um, got a couple of those, and they do work with HomeKit, and they're brilliantly useful. They're superbly useful. I'm gonna. There's an extra message that uh, is going to go out this week um, about my experience with those and and why it's kind of paid off already for several reasons. So look forward to that, patrons. That will be in your feeds. Um, but if you'd like your opinions to be in our inboxes on this issue, and if you've ever had any run-ins with neighbours, be wonderful to hear about how you have dealt with that or how you would deal with it. Send us an email. Hello at UKTechShow.com Hollywood Reporter, Ian. Not every week I quote a story from The Hollywood <laughs> Reporter uh, about something to do with UK technology news, but it's been a bit of a slow news week, British tech-wise, uh, but this really intrigued me. The Hollywood Reporter wrote this week that virtual production will soon be offered as a course at one of the world's most apparently prestigious filmmaking colleges that I'd never heard of, specifically the UK National Film and Television School. In what it claims to be an industry first, in partnership with Warner Media and a couple of other places, it's set to launch a new six-month part-time certificate course, so quite limited in, in scope, but in virtual production. Uh, the website said that participants are going to be introduced to the core technical filmmaking required to work on virtual production projects, such as those driven by Unreal Engine, which I think did that power the Mandalorian. Was that Unreal? It did indeed, yeah. Okay, so think Mandalorian here, uh, with a course aimed at creatives from varied technical and creative backgrounds, including gaming, visual effects, 3D animation, graphic design, uh, and people from camera that work with cameras in the camera department. Now, it, this does look like largely um, a, a bit of a response to the successful use of this kind of virtual uh, f filmmaking as used in the, the Mandalorian, which Ian can remind us about in a minute because I didn't know mu that much about it. Um, but um, but I also think maybe limited shooting options that have happened during the pandemic. You know, we've seen a lot of filming locations change or um, or, or move as a result of limited travel options uh, on occasion. And I wonder if maybe that was another reason behind moving into this uh, space. So um, there's a growing deployment of this kind of filmmaking being used worldwide. And apparently the UK is taking a bit of the first stab at uh, doing it on, from a educational standpoint. Now, separately, there was a press release from the school itself uh, that said that the, it will be a 24-week certificate part-time. It will start at the end of January next year. There's an application deadline of 27th of November this year for anyone who wants to get involved. There are six modules delivered weekly online as a kind of a seminar, uh, online seminar type thing. There'll be face-to-face -face weekend workshops that will take place in Beaconsfield in the UK, and that's at the, one of the film school's sites. It's got four or five sites, one in London. Um, I think there's one in Scotland, one in Wales. Um, 
on their virtual production LED stage. And the school director, John Wardle, said, Virtual production is quickly transforming the art and craft of filmmaking. As demand for skills in the VP landscape accelerates, being at the forefront of launching this innovative new course means we can equip creatives with the toolbox to understand how this exciting new leap in technology can help build and progress their career. I had to Google the NFTS, that is to say the National Film and Television School here in the UK. Um, Been around for quite a long time, many decades, uh, in fact, and at least according to one of its own white papers, two thirds of all Netflix productions have at least one graduate in a key role from this school. They've had people like, uh, what was the guy who directed um, Ex Machina? What was his name? Oh, Alex um, Alex Garland. Garland, yeah. Yeah. He was he he I think he teaches there. I think I think he's one of the people. So some big some big names. It looks really quite interesting. I'm I'm going to look into it uh, in more detail down uh, down the line because I think there might be an opportunity for me to do a bit of a video about this kind of thing. Yeah. But it intrigued me that, you know, this the UK's always had a big part to play in in filming. You know, we've got some very very well-used sites. I think Gravity um, I think all the visual effects for Gravity was was done in um, in in London. I think it might have been Framestore, but you know, yeah, you'd so... be surprised. I mean, it's it's a, it's a huge thing for UK companies. Yeah, absolutely massive. Um, but um, but I thought when I wanted to, and you because you know quite a lot about this, how this works, as uh, at least in how it worked for the Mandalorian. Yeah, Can you give us yeah. a, a summary. Yeah, it's 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 really interesting, and I I've been I found myself absolutely captivated by it because. Um, as as a as a byproduct of the increasing usefulness of LEDs for displays, it's now possible to build a a big LED display that's high resolution enough to look good on a 4K production. Uh, so that's what they do. They they build these huge LED screens, um, and you're, they're used as as the background. So you build a you know a small set in front of it. They're usually sort of curved, um, and then you know so you'll have props in the foreground so you might have a small part of the set that's physical um joined then to a virtual uh bit that is on the screen and then the cameras as they move around that volume are tracked by uh you know there's there's uh, marks on the ceiling or sensors on, and sensors on the camera i believe in this case as you move around the the 3d engine completely re-renders what the background is showing which gives you the um the ability through the camera to see a a proper parallax 3D effect, giving it this kind of depth that you wouldn't get otherwise, and and you know, and a and it looks indistinguishable from a a real background in in many cases. There's lots of demos you can watch online, and um, they all sort of have various sort of forest scenes and stuff like that. Obviously, they don't work with people necessarily because you'd have to render those people and that would look terrible. Um, but where you're sort of, you know, you, it, and that's why it works with the Mandalorian because you've got these stark planet backgrounds that have nothing on them. Um, but you can easily shoot a lot of the action in front of them. And, and the same with space, of course, you know, it's uh, quite easy to generate a star field on an LED screen and then, you know, have it move as the camera moves. It's, it's fantastic and it looks incredible. Um, and for some kinds of production, it is going to be a huge deal. I, this is better than using a green screen then, presumably, because it allows the actors in front of the set to actually see yeah. what's going on or feel a bit more, more immersed in it. And absolutely. And that will be a huge part of it because it will give you a, a you know, a, if you're in space, you'll actually feel like you're in space. I and mean, that would be quite a powerful acting tool, I should think. 
Um, that said, it's much more important than that because what it does is because the, the volume is has LEDs all around you, including on the ceiling, it enables you to have reflected light from uh, the things that are happening around you. So, for example, one of the reasons it works for the Mandalorian is they decided that they would have that stupid silver helmet for him. Now, in TV and film, normally, you would avoid something like that, like the plague, because it would be so hard to sort of you know, remove aspects that you didn't want. Or if you were using a green screen, you'd then have to put those reflections back on the helmet in post-production, which would be hell. Uh, I mean, a lot of green screen work is hell anyway. Like people just sort of think, ah, green screen, I could just put what I want there. It is so much more involved than that for film production. It's it's not the same as if you're sort of, you know, doing a game stream, but it's the reflected light that makes a huge difference. So, um, you know, everything in that, area has light reflected as it would be in the in in the actual scene so rather than having to faff around putting up little key lights here and you know trying to fake it you're actually getting reflected light so you can have a specific kind of sky all that kind of stuff it's it's really very clever and i suppose that's why the companies like um unity are so heavily involved and why this particular course is aimed as well at at people in the games industry because it's not just about filmmakers learning how to key in different backgrounds on a green yeah. screen this is about how do you you know it, it's 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 about how do you make what is being displayed on it it is how do you direct actors who are performing in front of it um and as you say with the reflections how can you benefit in a way that you couldn't necessarily benefit with green screen that actually helps the visual component of your storytelling um come to life even more i think i think it's super interesting really really interesting and i'm you know and i i feel like this will be a huge deal i mean as i said it's not going to be suitable for every kind of production um but it, it certainly could be it's it really does make things like, you know, scenes in cars and stuff like that. You know, you can give it a lot more life um, and, you know, and turn it into something that whereas before it would have looked really unnatural, you're going to get... So a, let, me, let me interrupt you briefly because sure. this, this is one of the things when you look back on old films and you see this a lot in sitcoms, there's some fantastic examples in, uh, in Friends, actually, the, the TV show Friends, where, you know, you're in a car and obviously the car is... Is, is a real car or is at least a very convincing model. Well, yeah, a cut on half a car or something. Like half a car, yeah, exactly. And it's on set. And obviously the background is either green screen or it's a video that's just been played. And you can always, always tell. Like there mm. is no, there's nothing you can do. You can always tell because the bouncers don't line up or the light doesn't line up or the turning of the steering wheel, you know, that fake steering doesn't yeah. line up they're not paying attention to cars passing by like it's so obvious and it feels like this is exactly that kind of technology that you can get a much more realistic looking result than anything that came before it other than obviously going actually out and shooting which hasn't been particularly easy over the last couple of years no um for obvious reasons yeah and i mean i I think there are always some things that you can do to make those things look more natural. I mean, like the, the wiggly steering wheel thing is just an acting problem. Uh, you know, it's like people, I guess people just feel like they need to be moving the wheel. But obviously we know that's not how you drive a car. Um, and, and yeah, and it also it also makes budgets a little bit more flexible because in order to do a car scene out in public, Normally, if you, if it was just sort of a scene set in a car and not a chase or anything like that, you'd usually tow that car around. So you put it on a low, a very low loader, 
and someone drives a truck and they drive the car around and that's how you get the scene. So it's, it's actually happening, um, but it's you know done in a safe way so that the person who's acting doesn't have to also be driving because that would be ludicrous. Um, obviously things are different for you know when you're doing stunt work but then you know imagine that instead of having to rent a truck and go out and do location shoot you just do it in a volume instead and it it, it's it will look as good um and you know you could use pre-captured footage and all that kind of stuff and and it would it would have all the authenticity of actually being out and about and and doing stuff so it's a it's a clever idea well if you want to learn more about this um now you can you've got another month well no a bit over a month if you want to go and apply to this at the film school we'll include a link to the hollywood reporter article we'll include a link to the uh, press release we discussed and a couple of links as well to the school if you want to have a look around it i frankly find uh, I've, I've i've learned so much in just researching this little story uh, just about how film schools actually teach what they do in my head it's always just been sitting in a lecture room learning about mise-en-scene but actually no there's these giant sets and editing suites and cameras and everything it's it's really quite quite fascinating uh, hence wanting to talk about it today during this slow news week <laughs> any thoughts you have on this if you're going to apply drop us a line hello at uktechshow.com well, Ian, I think it is time we check in with our good friend Tom Merritt, who's going to tell us what's been happening in the wider world of tech news this week. Are you ready? I are am. You ste- are you steady? Ready. Are you steady? Yes. Here it comes. This week on Daily Tech News Show, a Swiss student shoves a USB-C port inside an iPhone with a clever bit of reverse engineering. Your move, Apple. Amazon gets accused twice of abusing its position on its own platform, and U.S. lawmakers target it, Apple, and Google with a bipartisan bill to outlaw that and other monopolistic practices. And uh, the sad tale of a Missouri governor who used geek outrage to get political attention. Right-clicking is not, in fact, a crime. All that and much more at DailyTechNewsShow.com. Thank you, Tom. I love that story about right-clicking not being a crime. That is that is one of the funniest things. I, I, li- I live for those politicians getting stuff technically wrong. It's brilliant. I love it, yeah. It always reminds me of the internet being a series of tubes. Mm-hmm. Um, God rest his soul. I think he died. Uh, he may have done. Who can't was remember it? his name. Uh, good question. Uh, an American senator, I believe, but um, he, he he passed away. Anyway, uh, thank you, Tom. Uh, for our regular listeners, um, you may not um, have heard our very, I think, interesting um, explanation interesting. of what the metaverse is. You may have heard it. You're certainly going to hear an awful lot more about it over the coming months, years, and potentially decades um, if you want to get the full version of our show and listen to that uh, extra story all about how the metaverse works as we understand it today that is available to patrons at you uh, patreon.com forward slash uk tech sign up go and listen to that no ads so on and so forth um are in that so Ian, I think that's going to actually wrap it up for this yeah. week. We we did have a, a very interesting email came in uh, from listener, mention, yeah. yeah, from listener Peter, who um, wanted to know more about the Sky Glass. Um, some very interesting questions about things like what happens to my dish and has it got a hard drive and uh, will it have can it output Dolby Atmos and things. And I can assure you, Peter, that Ian is on the case getting answers for these things because we re- basically what we want to do is we want to get one of these units in, we want to do some testing and use your questions as the basis of um 
an episode or an extra message or something. Yeah, very so, much so. We're not ignoring you, Peter. Thank you for the great question. Uh, we will be coming back to that as soon as we can. And we'll be coming back to everybody else in a week's time. Have a delightful week, everybody. Ian, I hope you stay slinky, stay safe, <laughs> and please, please keep your ponytail because uh, I love you slightly more than I did mm. before now. As no, a I don't. I mean, no. you've had long hair, haven't you? Yeah, many times. Yeah, Hell on just... earth. Hell on earth. I disagree. Oh. It suits you very much. It no, it doesn't. Very much. I hate it. I absolutely hate it. Um, I can't promise it's staying, unfortunately. Okay. Well, I could say the same about this episode it's not staying it's going bye everybody even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.